0: You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Qalam is pleased to announce the Khatib Training Workshop. Find out more at Khatibworkshop.com. that's k-h-a-t-e-e-b-workshop.com. Bismillah, <laughs> alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So inshaAllah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet ﷺ, As-seerat <clears throat> al Nabawiyyah, We'll be starting today, I'd rather I should mention what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. The <clears throat> last couple of weeks we've been leading up to, we've been talking about uh, literally, if you will, the days leading up to the first revelation to the Prophet of Allah sallam. We talked about one of the main things that occurred in the life of the Prophet ﷺ to prepare him for the beginning of Revelation. And I've, I've, I've said this so many times, uh, it really doesn't need to be reiterated once again, but what a huge event the beginning of Revelation was. For 600 years, the doors of Divine Revelation had been closed. Guidance had not come directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those doors were being reopened again that in and of itself would have made it a huge, a significant enough of an event, requiring all this build-up and all this preparation. But when you factor in the the, 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 the situation, or when you take into consideration the fact that not only were these doors being reopened after 600 plus years, but now these doors were being reopened to complete the message and the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the final time. And when they would be closed after this, they would never be opened ever again. So when you take that into consideration, you understand how significant of an event this truly was. So we talked about that one of the main things that occurred with the Prophet he up until this point was able to live a very full, healthy, productive life. A very extremely productive life, a very healthy life. He had grown up in the best way possible. He had had a variety of different experiences, both good and bad. He had suffered loss as a child. He had grown up throughout his youth, working, socializing, being in society, but at the same time being divinely protected from falling into any significant evils. The Prophet of Allah Wasallam had matured into a very intelligent young man, was a very successful businessman. Once again, never cheating, never lying, never indulging into anything inappropriate. He had been married, married an uh, an extremely intelligent, caring, considerate woman, and had now raised his kids, was raising his children, and had settled the family and built a home. At this point in time, the Prophet of Allah's attention turned outwards towards society. And he had been socially active. He was somebody who was socially active in his community. He had taken part in the hilful fudul, the very virtuous pact that we talked about. The Prophet of Allah played a significant role in the reconstruction, the renovation of the Kaaba, the Baytullah. But now the Prophet of Allah was very concerned about what was going on with people in society. And that caused the Prophet to seek out sometime moments, isolation, to be able to ponder and to reflect and to think about what was going on and what the truth of the matter really was. To try to figure out truth and what is the reality of life? What is the purpose in life? And the Prophet of Allah Wasallam in his journeys, about three miles outside of Mecca, just wandering around, walking around, thinking, pondering, reflecting, three miles outside of Mecca he comes across a cave up in a mountain that is very isolated, very secluded, but at the same time is perfectly situated. As I described two sessions ago, where he can see the, the Kaaba from the mouth of the cave. But at the same time, it's isolated enough to the point where it's not in plain sight of people. And it's just big enough for one person to where this was perfect. And he went there and he sat there and he found a certain amount of peace and tranquility there. So now the Prophet of Allah ﷺ would pack up his stuff and retreat out to the cave to go there and to seek solace and comfort and isolation and meditate and ponder and think about what's going on in the world and what should be going on in people's lives. And as the narrations mention, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ's habit of going and isolating and reflecting in the cave was during the month of Ramadan so this definitely again is divinely planned that this focus that we enjoy even today till the month of Ramadan and the established sunnah and practice of the messenger of God peace and blessings be upon him of i'tikaf of isolating oneself in the masjid in the house of God for ten days during the month of Ramadan this goes all the way back to that time that that habit of the Prophet was established even as early as then before even the first divine revelation and so the Prophet of Allah is there in this cave And he's seeking out this isolation And he's starting to find comfort and peace and quiet and tranquility To the point where his heart, his mind, his soul, his spirit is prepared now To receive divine revelation And this is where we reach the most pivotal moment in human history The point, the day where it all started, it all began and that is described as Badul Wahi, the beginning of revelation. And there is a very famous, a very beautiful hadith, which is mentioned by Imam Bukhari in the book in the Sahih al-Sahihul Jami' of Imam Bukhari, the Sahih Bukhari, the famous book that we know about. It begins within the Malamalubiniyat, and then the very first chapter is Babu Badul Wahi, the chapter about the beginning of revelation. Imam Bukhari mentions this narration. That Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrates, and she says, الله الله That the very first thing that began with the Prophet from divine revelation was he started to have true dreams. الرُؤْيَا الصَّادِقَةَ True dreams. Dreams that would be realized. Dreams that would be actualized. Dreams that would materialize. Meaning the Prophet of Allah the night before he would see a dream. And in his dream he would see something happen. And the next day exactly that same thing that he saw in his dream would occur. That would happen. And this started to happen with the Prophet Islam very frequently. From small little things to even big significant things. So much so that there's a narration which says, which we'll talk about right now, when Jibreel alayhi came to the Prophet ﷺ in the cave of Hira, and then the whole interaction that occurred between Jibreel alayhi and the Prophet ﷺ, and the transfer of the revelation from Allah ﷻ to the Prophet ﷺ, which we'll talk about at length and detail, there are narrations which say that the Prophet ﷺ actually saw that in a dream before that. He had seen in a dream that an angel comes to him, and an angel does this, and an angel says this, and this is exactly what transpires. And he told his wife Khadija radiAllahu anha, that I'm seeing the most unbelievable things in my dream. And she comforted him. And she consoled him by saying, don't worry, everything will have a meaning, everything has a purpose, and this, the meaning and the purpose of this will very soon reveal, will, will make itself apparent to you. But don't get scared, don't be worried by what you're seeing. So the Prophet was seeing things in dreams, and those dreams were being materialized, were being realized you know, later on. Now the scholars discuss at length, what's the reason, what's the purpose for this? Of course we do know that dreams are a form of divine revelation. Even in the Qur'an we see Ibrahim when he receives the command of sacrificing his son, he sees it in a dream. إِنِّي أَرَافِ الْمَنَامِ I, I am seeing in my sleep. I am seeing in sleep, meaning I'm seeing in the dream. And azbahuka That I am slaughtering you. I am sacrificing you. So, dreams are a form of divine revelation. They are a means of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicating to the messengers and the prophets of God. But specifically, this was happening very regularly and consistently. What is the reason? What is the meaning? What is the purpose of this? So the scholars actually do explain that one of the reasons for this happening was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted the Prophet of Allah sallallahu to learn to trust his heart. He wanted him to learn to trust his heart. That to not be frightened, to not be threatened, to not, be, to not doubt at any level the thoughts or the visions or the dreams or the things that were occurring to him. So that he would become very, you know, he would become very focused. He would internally become extremely focused. And he would learn to reflect on what was going on in his heart. And he would learn to trust what was in his heart. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give him dreams. And those dreams would be realized. And the Prophet after a while learned to trust in these dreams. Meaning he learned to trust his heart. And so this is the very first thing that happened with the Prophet A فِي النوم. In sleep he would see dreams that would come to reality, that would come to fruition. That he would see anything that he would see in, the, in a dream, he would not see anything in a dream except that it would come as apparent as the, as the morning time. Meaning as true and as real as the morning is, when you stand out, stand out there and the, the sun rises and the morning occurs and as true and as real that, as, as that is and as believable as it is to see the daylight and to see the sun and to see the morning, that's how real the dreams of the Prophet were coming true. There was no doubt about it that this is exactly what I saw last night in my dream. ثُمَّ and see this is the progression that I'm talking about. The consequence and the outcome of these dreams coming true in the Prophet of trusting, growing to trust these dreams, is that slowly he used to long, he would desire, he would look forward to moments of quiet, moments of isolation, moments of reflection. Because now he had something to think about. Now he wanted to reflect on what he saw and what came true and what did that mean. ثُمَّ al khalā, He naturally wanted to be by himself more often and to be deep in his, in his thoughts more and more often. And that started happening with the Prophet ﷺ. فَكَانَ يخلو بِغَارِ حرا. And he started seeking out this isolation and this reflection and meditation in the cave of Hira. فيتحنثوا فِيهِ فيتحنثوا فِيهِ التحَنُّث this is a very interesting word. Scholars have discussed this word at length. The word tahannuth comes from Al-Hinthu in the Arabic language or hanathu in the Arabic language actually means to break an oath, to violate an oath or a promise. And the reason why it means that, it basically means to leave what you have said. So when I make a promise and when I make an oath and I tell a brother so-and-so that I will do this, and I don't keep my promise to him, Tahannathtu or, or or rather hanathtu, right? That I have broken my promise. I left what I had said. So at tahannuth, therefore, the etymology of the word, the development of the meaning, is that it basically means to depart from something, to leave something, to pull away from something. So the Prophet of Allah started pulling away from something. What was he pulling away from? What was he drawing away from? Literally like drawing yourself away from something. At-Tahannuth. What was he drawing away from? He was drawing away from all the corruption, all the idolatry, all the idol worshipping, the shirk, the corruption, the facade, the chaos that was rampant in society at that time. He needed to get away from there. You see, to be able to clean something, you first got to take it out of the mud. If you drop something in dirt, or if you drop something in mud, and you want to wash it, you want to clean it off, so you drop some jewelry, you drop the ring, or you drop your watch into a bunch of mud, and you want to clean it off, and you want to wash it off, if you go and grab a water hose, or you go and grab a bucket of water, and you pour it on top of there, does that accomplish what you wanted to? Does that, does that achieve what you have set out to accomplish? It doesn't. It's sitting in mud, And then you go and you pour another bucket of water on top of it. You might kind of thin out the mud a little bit, but it's still sitting in some filth, it's not completely clean. And even worse, sometimes it can muddy the waters even more. What you have to do is you have to take it out, you have to pull it out. And then you pour water on top of it. Now it's clean. Now it's clean. Naturally, instinctively, if you step into mud, you don't leave your foot there in the mud and then pour some water You lift your foot up off the ground and you pour water on top and it washes everything off. It cleans everything off. The Prophet of Allah wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pulled him out of the mud. Allah pulled him out of the pollution. Allah pulled him out of all the, all the, 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 the noise that was going on in society. And then Allah cleansed him. And now that he was clean, and now that the heart was ready and it was prepared, now it was ready to receive divine revelation. So it was like this natural preparation, this emotional, spiritual, intellectual, physical, preparing of a person, of this messenger of God, to be able to receive divine revelation. So that's what the word tahannuth means. Some scholars have actually met broader narration which actually says, فَيَتَحَنَّفُ from Hanif to focus him. Same basic meaning, to focus him. To focus him and prepare him. And then the Aisha radiallahu anha actually herself, she provides an explanation. What does the word Tahannuth mean? He would pull away and draw away from everything into this cave. And she explains what the word Tahannuth means. She says, It was to worship, it was to focus. And from here we learn something very interesting that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, the cream of the crop of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, someone of the caliber of Aisha radiallahu anha, they didn't just simply consider a ritualistic act, such as salah to be worshipped, that is worship and it's the greatest form of worship. But they considered more than that to be worshipped. They considered pulling away from a bad situation and sitting and focusing yourself, meditating, thinking about Allah, reflecting on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on your own spiritual condition al-Muhasaba and these types of al muraqaba al-Muhasaba, these concepts, they considered this to also be worship, and the Sahaba used to make time for these things. They would make time for this. So she says, "Whu, this was a form of worship. allayali. He would spend many, many nights. Nights on end he would spend up in the cave of Hira. قَبْلَ أَن ينزع إِلَىٰ أهله, Until he would come back down to his family. لِذَلِكَ And then he would prepare again to prepare himself. You know, provisions and things like that to go back. ثُمَّ يرجع إِلَىٰ خَدِيجَةِ And then he would return back to his wife Khadija. لِمِثْلِهَا And then again he would prepare to return back. Haq Until all of a sudden, one day he was there in his cave, meditating, doing his thing, and the truth came to him. Reality came to him. The word haqq is a beautiful word. The word haqq in the Arabic language in its roots and its origins, it actually means something that is stable. Something that has a solid foundation. The word batil, Batalah it literally means something that is on a shaky foundation. Something that is not stable. That which was the truth, stability, a foundation came to him. When Allah refers to Islam as haq, when Allah refers to the Qur'an as haq, when he says the Messenger came with al-haq, he came with a foundation. The Qur'an is a foundation, Islam is a foundation. So the truth, stability and a foundation came to the Messenger ﷺ. وَهُوَ And he was in the cave of Hira. al-malak, An angel came to him. An angel brought this truth and this reality to him. فَقَالَ اِقْرَأَ And the angel said, Read. The angel said, Read. فَقَالَ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ The Prophet of Allah said, I am not a reader. Meaning, I don't read. Meaning, I'm not one who has the ability to read. Now this is explained in two ways. That you can take it, and the Prophet ﷺ of course definitely, primarily meant it in the sense of, I don't know how to read and write. Because the Prophet ﷺ was unlettered. Ummi. That the, the literal definition or the more modern definition for that word would be illiterate. But of course, you know, just because of the connotation that that word, illiteracy and illiterate, the connotation that that word has in English, I personally don't like to use that word in English, when speaking about the Messenger of Allah because of the tone the word has in the English language. That tone communicates along with the definition. Yes, the definition of the word is a very plain definition. By definition, it wouldn't be offensive. Because it's a word. But because the tone that it carries in our own, in our own language, that's why unlettered is a, another word that can be used for that. Meaning, the Prophet wasn't formally educated in reading and writing by someone else. That didn't take away from the intelligence, that didn't take away from the eloquence. Because the society in that time, you would find many examples of people who maybe couldn't read and write, but they were some of the most eloquent, intelligent people of their time. But nevertheless, there is a divine. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually tells the Prophet that you don't read from a book and you don't write actually with your hand in script. Why? Because then that would cause doubt to the people. That would allow those people who want to make trouble, that would allow them to interject doubt into people's minds. So this is all part of the divine plan. So the Prophet was unlettered. He didn't read and write. So he's most definitely stating that fact. But at the same time, most defi- uh, you, what you can also take, and classical scholars have also talked about this, that the Prophet is actually also kind of expressing this sentiment at that moment that like, what do, what do you mean read? Like I can't read. Like what do you want me to read? Or what do, who are you? What are you talking about? So there's this natural apprehension that the Prophet feels at that moment, but at the same time, it is a statement of the simple fact that the Prophet of Allah was unlettered himself. So he says, biqari? I don't read. Minni thum arsalani. So then the Prophet of Allah sallallahu wa says, fa'akhadani. he grabbed me, this angel, fa'gattani. He literally wrapped himself completely around me. To the point where he was just completely wrapped around me. Like he had covered me. He smothered me. A good word in the English language is "smother." Like he just smothered me. And he held on. Hatta, Because the, the Prophet says him, he uses the word hatta, So there's a ghaya for this. So he says he smothered me. Until the point, بَلَغَ مِنِّي juhda until I had basically lost all my energy, meaning I pushed back, I squeezed, I, 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 I tried to get out however I could. I resisted until I completely just let go, I just gave up. I, could just, I, I couldn't fight it anymore. I lost my ability to fight, to resist. Thumma And then He left me, He released me. And then you can imagine, just imagine being squeezed, until you can't fight it anymore and then you just give in. And then you're released and how the, the air, the oxygen comes rushing back into your lungs. The air comes rushing back into your chest. You kind of regain your senses. And then the Prophet of Allah said, he said, اقرأ Read. And again I said, مَا أَنَا qari I don't read. And the Prophet said, فَغَطَّنِي حَتَّى بَلَغَ مِنِّيَ الْجُهْدَةَ And then he grabbed me and then he again squeezed me and smothered me and pressed me a second time until I finally gave up. ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي And then he left me. And the, the fact is that the Prophet says ثُمَّ ثُمَّ The usage of the word ثُمَّ itself means that the Prophet said that he squeezed me for some time. فَقَالَ And then he left me, released me, and again there's that there's a, just a, the recovery <laughs> And then the Prophet ﷺ said, فَقَالَ And then he said, Read. فَقُلْتُ مَا I again told him, I again said a second time, I don't read. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, Fa minni And then again he grabbed me and he squeezed me a third time until I just completely lost, like I gave up. Thum and then he left me. Now, there's one thing here that before we obviously get to the point of everything, and we talk about everything, and we talk about the culmination of this, what I'd like to explain is what the the classical scholars, their discussions based on this whole physical interaction that's going on. There is a physical prep. You know, along with the spiritual preparation, that spiritual preparation occurs through a physical activity. And if we look today within our deen, within the tashri'ah of Islam, when we look within our deen today and the formulation of our practices within the deen today, we see that even till today the spiritual preparation of an individual involves some physical activity. There's making wudu, there's performing salah, there's Fasting, all of this, there's the rites and the pilgrimage, the hajj, the rituals of hajj, the procedures of hajj. So these are spiritual, these these are spiritual activities, They they are spiritually beneficial, but they involve some physical exertion, some physical activity. And there's a very deep connection there. That there is a link between the physical condition and the physical activity of a person and the impact that it has on a person's faith and a person's spirituality and a person's belief and a person's relationship with Allah at the end of the day. The condition of the heart is impacted by what goes on with the body of a person and then the condition of the heart also dictates what comes out from the body of the person. It's very circular. So what you take in and what you engage in will have an impact on your heart, and then the condition of your heart will dictate what you engage in and what you take in. It all works, it's a circle, and it works similarly. That's why the Prophet of Allah when he talked about the condition of the heart, and then he talked about the channels of the heart. What you see, what you hear, what you say, what you are around, will impact the condition of your heart. So looking at bad, and listening to bad, and talking of bad, and being around bad, will corrupt the heart. And being in good company affects the heart. <laughs> when the ayat are recited upon them, their iman increases. It increases them in the iman. It increases them in their faith. So there's a very deep connection here, and we can see this going back to the very first time. The second thing the scholars explain. It's that pressure is being applied. And anyone that has achieved anything, intellectually, even emotionally, and especially physically, anyone that's achieved anything, knows that you have to push yourself, you have to apply pressure. You know when you look at somebody with great intellectual achievement, a PhD, a doctorate, or whatever it is, that required that person to intellectually apply themselves. They studied and they read until they felt like their brain was going to melt and drip out of their ears. And that took that type of exertion, that physical, that, that applying oneself, and that pressure to reach that point. Emotionally, when you come across somebody who's, who can handle a lot, and they've been through a lot, and that gives them the ability to be handled, to, handle, to take a lot, because they've been through so much. You know, this ain't my first rodeo. You know, we have a saying down here, this ain't my first rodeo. Like I've been here, done that. I've dealt with this before. Physically speaking, when you see somebody who, mashallah, can accomplish a lot, somebody who can run 10 miles, you know, that, that they didn't just wake up one morning and say, Bismillah. You know, it didn't happen that way. They pushed themselves and pushed themselves and pushed themselves to the point where they got to that level. That's how that works. And so spiritually speaking, you see the pressure being applied. We have to spiritually push ourselves. You see, where I sit today right now, when somebody tells me, praying five times a day, and I'm like, brother, very difficult. I can't do it. I can't take it. It, it, it seemed, you know, it, sitting here right now, for me, it might seem like if I don't pray five times a day, and somebody, I hear about praying five times a day, man, how am I going to do that? It's not practical. It's not possible. I have to push myself. When I see somebody who prays tahajjud and prays up and prays qiyam during the night time, man, how do you do that? That's a, well, they push themselves, they got to that point. So it takes, a, it takes applying oneself and enduring pressure and enduring a lot, of, you know, uh, um, a lot of pressure in order to reach a certain point. And that's exactly what was going on here with the Prophet and with the applying of pressure. Because you see, as in the story, as in the case of Musa alayhi salam, when you read the beginning ayat of surah Taha, you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Musa alayhi salam iman like that. He taught him iman in an instant. You know a long lesson in iman that we might learn over a lifetime? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because a prophet and a messenger of God doesn't have the luxury of time. They have to deliver the message. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him the, the quick route, gives him the short course. Instant. And Allah asks Musa, Aleyhislam, what's in your hand, O Musa? What's in your right hand, O Musa? this is my staff, O Allah. And then he talks about the benefits of it. So what does Allah say? Allah says, throw it, toss it, let it go. So he drops it after just talking about the benefits of it and what does it turn into? Hayatun تَسْعَى A big, fierce, moving snake. Like it's moving around. You ever seen a snake move? It's terrifying. You know how, why we so comfortably look at snakes when we go to the zoo? Because you're sitting there. So we go up to the glass and we go, Hey you! If it was to move, we'd have to go clean up in the restroom. Right? You'd break your wudu. That's how it works. Right? A snake moving is really, really like, scares you, it catches you off guard. So, imagine he just drops it and it's boom, it's moving rapidly. Imagine how frightening that would be. Something good just turned into something bad. What does Allah say to do with something bad? Run away as your instincts are telling you. Grab it and don't be afraid. SubhanAllah, the, the command wasn't just normal. It wasn't just grab it. It was grab it and don't be afraid. It's like, but it's a snake. No, 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 we'll take care of it. So when he grabs it and he's not afraid and he grabs it with confidence, Bismillah, what happens? Turns back into his staff turns back into something beneficial. Iman complete. Just like that. Instant charge-up. Instant charge-up. Iman complete. Ready to go. And so, that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepares Anbiya alayhi salam. That's how He prepares Prophets. So that a pressure is being applied. By who? Jibreel alayhi salam. Jibreel alayhi salam who can destroy entire civilizations in one swoop. Him applying pressure. So the Prophet is being prepared instantly that all that pressure in three times, all that pressure in three instances is being applied, like a lifetime of pressure is being applied within those three quick shots, those three quick instances to prepare the Prophet Ready to go, instantly. The next thing that the scholars explain about the deep wisdom of this --Hata Minni al the Prophet mentions it, until I just I just gave in. I press, 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 until I couldn't press no more and I just gave in. I reached my peak and I just gave in. And giving in is the key. We push back. See, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala put a very decent fitrah inside of us that accepts, but Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala wrapped that fitrah inside of that nafs that resists. And what happens is you resist and resist and resist. But you know, how we basically say you got to break something in. You know, when you first buy a book and you open the book, what happens? It needs to be broken in. So what do you do? You open it and then you. Right? You put the, 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 the flat, the ball of your hand there and you press hard back and forth, back and forth. You break it in. So that when you open that book, it stays open. And that, that, that's the case with anything that we use, anything that we do, you got to break it in. You got to break it in. Similarly, we have to spiritually get broken in we push back and we push back and we push back until we realize what's good for us and then we give in. And now you're ready to take. Now you're ready to take. There's so many examples of this from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu just this past weekend I was at a conference I had a talk about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu Umar radiallahu had to be broken in even to accept Islam. He had to be broken in because of who he was and how he was, he had to be broken in. I told you in the seerah sessions we've covered the story. You can go back and listen to it in the recordings. We've covered the story about Umar being passed out, intoxicated. And then somebody's sacrificing that goat. And then the, the goat talks up and talks about believing in Allah. La ilaha illallah. You know, Muhammad Rasulullah. And Umar was like, oh my God. And he turns over and goes back to sleep. Right? He's like, oh never mind. Let me just, let me just try to forget about this. There's another story where Umar anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi when kind of some noise started being created about okay, this man Muhammad RasulAllah sallallahu alaihi this man Muhammad ibn Abdullah he's saying this and he's doing this and he's preaching this, and he says he came into the Kaaba one time, and because the Prophet had the protection of his family, he used to come and pray in the Haram. They couldn't mess with him. You would pray in the Haram, but he couldn't openly really preach and he couldn't bring Muslims to pray in the Haram because they would they would murder those Muslims. Right, but, but the Prophet had that protection from his family so he would come and pray in the haram. So he says he came and he was praying. And I looked at him and I said, okay, that's the guy that all the fuss is about? That's what's going on? What's the big deal, man? I don't see what the big deal is. So he says he started walking up to him. And when he got close to him, behind him, he was coming from behind him, he got close to him, but the Prophet was offering Salah. And in his Salah he was reciting Surah Al-Haqqah. Surah Al-Haqqah, Surah number 69. And the Prophet ﷺ was saying, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ rasulin kareem." Towards the end of Surah Al-Haqqa, that it most definitely is the word of a very noble messenger. And he said, when I heard that, I was like, Umar says in my mind, I didn't verbally say it in my mind, when I heard him say, la rasulin kareem,' When I heard him say that, in my mind I thought, no it's not. No, it's not. Get out of here. It's just a bunch of poetry. It's just a bunch of fancy talk. It's poetry. That's what it is. And the Prophet ﷺ recited the next ayah, which is, It's not the word of a poet. قَلِيلًا ma Very little do y'all believe. And he said, I... I, I It's like a slap in the face. You know when you get slapped in the face and you're not expecting it, you're looking here and Right? So he said, I I literally stumbled. I was like, what? He goes, how do you know what I was? And he said, I started thinking to myself, how do you know what I was thinking? Uh, How do you know what I was thinking? I know what's up. He's a magician. He's a soothsayer. He's a spooky man. Right? Like there's something up. There's something fishy. There's something spooky going on with this guy. And the Prophet recited the next ayah, He's not a soothsayer, he's not a magician, he's not a fortune teller. He's not a magic man. Very little do you listen, very little do you understand and pay attention to. And he said, I just stumbled back a little bit more, I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? And he said, now at this point I got no answer, so I'm like, so it's not poetry. It's no magic stuff. Then what could it be? And the Prophet recited the next ayah. It is being revealed. It is revelation from the Lord of the worlds. And he said, I just turned around from there and I walked off and I said, You best forget about this. And then finally, when he barges into his sister's home, on the way to assassinate the Prophet of Allah and he barges into his sister's home, and he picks up the, the, the scripture, and he reads the ayat of Surah Taha, he just got broken into. You see? That's what finally broke him in. Then he said, that, that's, that's it. I, I gotta go now. Sometimes we need to be broken in spiritually. And that happened with the Prophet ﷺ not once, three times, really quickly. Boom, boom, boom. Then now you just take. Now you just receive. Now you just take in. And it got the Prophet ﷺ to that point. One last wisdom and hikmah I'll mention here. He says, And then each time the Prophet ﷺ says, however, then he would release me. Then he would. Release me, He would let me go. The wisdom in that the scholars say though is that, yes, there's truth to all of these things. You have to, you know, you, you... The first thing we mentioned was, that you have to be applied pressure to. Pressure, you have to exert yourself. You have to take some pressure. You have to push yourself. Number two, you have to be broken into. It's gonna take a couple of times, it's gonna take a, f- a little while. But you'll get broken into, like, just like that book gets broken into. Like you break that book into. You break, you break in that book. But the third thing, the wisdom here is, ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي But he would release the Prophet ﷺ to be able to, to recover, to, 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 to get back. That you also have to be careful that you don't, Push yourself too hard, too fast, too far, too quickly. Because you have to take the humanity and your own weakness and your own human side into consideration. That you would press the Prophet until he would let go and then he would leave him. You would release him. Then you would press him until he'd let go and then you'd release him. Then you pressed him until he'd let go and then you released him. Now the Prophet is at that peak of spiritual, that condition. His spiritual condition is at its peak فَقَالَا And then he said, اِقْرَأْ بِاسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَاقُ اِقْرَأْ رَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمُ الَّذِي عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمُ عَلَّمَ الْإِنسَانَ مَا لَمْ يَعْلَمُ Surah alaq where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the first revelation, surah al Allah said, اِقْرَأْ, read. بِاسْمِ رَبِّكَ read by the name with the help of the name of your Lord and your Master the one that created the one that created meaning anything and everything خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقٍ and then more specifically Khas الْخَاسِ بَعْدِ الْعَامِ more specifically he created the human being from a clot of blood iqra read emphasis read more specific now وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمُ وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمُ And your Lord, the most noble, أَلَّذِي عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمُ The one that taught with the pen. What did he teach? Doesn't mention. But he taught with the pen. عَلَّمَ الْإِنسَانَ مَا لَمْ يَعْلَمُ And he taught the human being that now we know what he taught. Now specifically, again, dhikrul khas ba'dil Now he taught the human being. What did he teach the human being? ما Yalam, That which he didn't know. That which he was not aware of. That which he did not realize. He did not understand. And this initial revelation was given to the Prophet ﷺ. We're gonna go ahead and inshallah, pause here in the next session because the next part of the, the, the narration requires a lot of discussion and a lot of detail. Just like we discussed this in detail, it requires a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things to explain and expound upon as to what was the course of action. What, what course of action did the Prophet take after this life-altering event, this complete change? What did he do? Where did he go? What did he say? What occurred? What transpired with him? Immediately following this, very, very profound and a lot for us to learn after that. So we'll take it one step at a time so that we can note the lessons. We can extract the lessons and we can internalize those lessons and those realizations. And we can inshallah implement them and realize them in our own lives. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Subhanakallahu wa Nashal wa la ilaha illa anta نستغفرك و نتبو إليك